When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome to the latest Irish Illustrated Insider, Pete Sampson, joined again by Tim O'Malley. A couple days after Navy, a few days before Stanford. We could take this podcast to regale you with tales about the fine dining we'll have in San Francisco this weekend, but instead, we'll talk about Notre Dame's defense of the triple option last weekend, which wasn't triple option all the time, and I thought it was sort of left as a eye of the beholder how well Notre Dame defended it, but I think that if you... I don't want to sound like, well, you should listen to me on this, but I thought Notre Dame played quite well on defense against Navy. 277 yards, hauled them under four yards per carry. Uh, I thought they did some creative things with uh, sort of a five-man front, which really became a six-man front at times, and were pretty much on their business from start to finish. There were very few moments where I felt like, ooh, Navy really got them on this. I I, I give a lot of credit to Mike Elko this weekend. I think they were, the one thing they were lacking was a compliment from their offense to score touchdowns and put more pressure on Navy because I've seen a lot of people mention that Navy had Notre Dame exact Navy did exactly what they wanted to do in Notre Dame, which is control the ball. However, they had two touchdown drives out of their nine drives. That is not what Navy wants to do. No, Navy had Notre Dame where they wanted them. I'll grant you that with the ball down seven in the fourth quarter. But I don't think that's on Notre Dame's defense. I think Notre Dame's offense, it was incumbent upon them to score five out of seven possessions touchdowns. Didn't happen. I would credit Navy's defense and Notre Dame's defense for the way they played in the game. And, you know, we already mentioned it. Notre Dame's offense on the first drive and the last drive made people mad because they did exactly what you don't need to do against Navy. Other than that, they obviously played pretty well. They, of course, lost the possession to the Chris Mm -hmm. Fink punt. It's a strange game when you play Navy. It got strange once that once that fumble punt happened and they got they went from field position making Navy punt in the three and out to Navy going down and scoring a touchdown. You knew the game had changed. It was just going to be a problem right there. Yeah, I think the notion that oh Notre Dame couldn't get off the field is not that accurate because their first drive fourth down stop, second drive field goal, third drive I think was just a straight three and out, and then Fink fumbled the right. punt. You literally cannot ask any more from your defense. I mean, how often do we cover the Navy game in the week leading up to it and immediately after it's like, whew, takes your quarter to get the speed of the game down. Notre Dame had the speed of the game down immediately. Uh, so that's on Elko. That is on Martini, Tranquil, Kareem, Trombetti, Pride, Love. I mean, I, I thought they had some real standout performances where it wasn't just Greer Martini. I know Greer Martini got the game ball and had a career-high 15 tackles, but I thought... Julian Love was very good. Uh, I thought 
Drew Tranquil was outstanding. Yeah. I mean, that was the guy that was sort of the tip of the spear, even if he whether he made the play or not. When destructive plays were made, Greer Martini either made them or forced them to be made by somebody else. And I thought Trombetti and Kareem, both from the end spots, were, were quite destructive. And Trombetti made, it's, I think because people are frustrated, it's not going to go down in Irish annals. It's such a big play. But boy, you if he hesitates at all, Navy has the game-tying touchdown. And yeah. that is, it's a halfback pass. You shouldn't hesitate when the halfback to your side and you're the, you're the edge player has the ball. But he didn't. He attacked, and he is the reason that was not a game-winning touchdown. It still could have been incomplete had he not even got on him that quickly. Uh, Martini kind of noticed late it was not Greer Martini's guy. It was Troy Pride's Troy player. Pride's right. uh, it was, so was fortunate on that, but is it fortunate if you just make a great play when you're supposed to? Not really. Now, should it have been that close? I accept all arguments for no, it should not be that close against Navy. I just wouldn't blame... As long as they all start with the offense. Right, as long as, yeah, I just wouldn't blame Notre Dame's defense on it. Talk about the special teams in the offense. Yeah, it, so let's talk a little bit about Notre Dame's offense, because Brandon Wimbush, you know, anytime we watch the first half, I think that colors our perception of the second half. But if you just if you just watch the second half of Brandon Wimbush, if somehow you, you miss the first half and only watch the second, you'd be like... Man, this guy is really good. He is so accurate. I, I can't believe what I'm watching. He, But the departure from the first half was so jarring, I don't even know what to make of that. Uh, and I asked Brian Kelly about that on sun, his Sunday call because he said on Saturday that Wimbush was too amped up. Well, like, why? Why is that happening? It doesn't make any sense to me. No, it would have made sense in Miami because it's yeah. a different atmosphere and it, and it gets to you, but... You mentioned for the podcast. You mentioned his misses in the first half were all egregious, impossible misses, except for they a drop. Yeah, except for a drop by Kevin Stefferson, which is also on the offense. That was a good throw by Wimbush. He right. scored on the next play. They were easy throws. He missed. There were some head scratchers. There's one where he almost killed Equinemy St. Brown. There are two plays where I wrote down, "I don't know," was my target, and that's, <laughs> that's a bad. That's a bad sign. I had to go back and find out on replay. Uh, but no, you're right. In the second half, thirty yard touchdown to Stefferson. 23-yard pass to Stefferson, 12 yards to Boykin. Stefferson had a drop, comes back with a screen where he fought for every inch to gain the first down. I love he, that play. Bro. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, Stefferson, of course, with a touchdown. And there was a play where Boykin, I think this is a good point you made during the game, he missed Boykin in the end zone. If that's Claypool or St. Brown's speed that you're used to throwing yeah. to, that's a touchdown. To know your personnel. Play. And then I don't even know what to call the last play other than run it. Yeah, <laughs> the wrong call. <laughs> um, but Matt kind of flubbed it. It wasn't a total drop like I thought it was live, but it was a play he has to make. It's a throw Wimbush has to make better. All of that should have been completed, but as we pointed out during the game, you know it's easier to complete a handoff to Josh Adams. Yeah, yeah, that's the, because that last play and the Boykin play, well, on the Boykin play, Wimbush is throwing on the run, which is difficult. And on the Mac play, he was under severe pressure because Quentin Nelson's Somehow misses his man. I'm not. That was weird to see because if if Nelson picks up his man, that's a completion. You got to cut him at this point. Nelson. Yeah, he just ran right. He, well, he ran by him. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, cut okay. him from the team. Yeah, yeah that's so it's <laughs> like cut block. Doesn't need to cut block anybody. Uh, so it's. I think Wimbush should feel good about himself coming out of it. But the first half was so weird, it's hard to know what to expect on Saturday night from him. I think he will probably feel good about himself, and the staff will upon review. I mean, fans won't, because you will. the first half does color it. And you yeah. could argue the game would have been over 
if you just have a regular first half because yeah. you could have scored touchdowns. So it's all related, but I wouldn't expect you to see Brandon Wimbush have... I shouldn't say that. He won't have a game like that against Stanford. I would be concerned if he comes out and starts one for four again, though, because that's putting Notre Dame in a hole they don't mm-hmm. need to be in. A good way to avoid that would be to hand the ball off. Yeah. To start the game against Stanford and continue to do so. Because the the throw at the end of the second quarter that was supposed to be to Mac, but really was to three Navy defenders, that's getting picked off against Stanford. And let's be honest, if that gets picked off, Notre Dame loses the game. That That's it. That the the game is You mean this past week, you're yeah, right. Oh, yeah. They lose to Navy and the season completely falls apart and this podcast is a lot different. We're probably not talking about Brandon Wimbush and nitpicking his completions and his incompletions. I tell you what, if he throws eighteen passes next week, it's gonna be a very happy podcast for Notre Dame fans yes. next week, next Tuesday or Monday, because that is the recipe going forward at this yeah, point. The you know He only threw eighteen passes it? because yo. Is he, it the recipe? Yes, he threw 18 passes, though, because they only had 49 snaps. Yeah. He like, would have squeezed in more had they, had they I, had the ball more. I I think Notre Dame wants it to be the recipe. It has to be. They, it has to be the recipe. You you have to go back with what got you two I, and a half months of very good football. Here, here's my problem with that. Unless you are going to rejuvenate Josh Adams, I don't know if that's the recipe anymore. got to use that's, them all, then. That is... That is really one of my biggest concerns that Josh Adams is just a shell of what he was in October for through no fault of his own. Yeah, he, he might he be. He is just like, he looks like an old man out there, even though he's a college junior. How long does it take a backup running back that never gets hit to come back from a thigh bruise? A month at least. <laughs> Apparently. Um, because we can't, they can't get Dexter Williams in a football game in a meaningful manner. Yeah, he, he had, I think, like two snaps. I don't know. Very low. And that's not going to do anything. I don't you know. Under- it's just not the way you, you relieve Josh Adams is by giving someone two snaps. Yeah. They- I don't understand what's happening there. Um, they need Dexter Williams eight carries yes, against exactly. Stanford. Eight and, and five to six from Jones out of the pistol because he should never go sideways again. Yeah, I just, because I, I think asking Josh Adams, banking on 20 carries from Josh Adams you is gotta get nuts. You got to get 15 my body hurts carries out of Josh Adams, though, to win this game. You, sure. have, you have to. He's got to be able to give something to you, and I mean, I, I'm sure any means necessary is going to get him out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not injured. He's hurt in every way, so they will find a way to get him out there. My guess. I mean, he might be injured. He might be running through injury, for all we know. In which mm-hmm. case, they are in trouble. But if he's just running through all the pains and all the little injuries he suffered, they, he's got one more game to do it. They need him. No comment on Josh Adams. He is the toughest guy they have. Oh yeah, but he's got to be tough for one more game because they cannot win without him. Grinding some stuff out. Yeah, I think he needs to be on the punishing end of things. Uh, even if he, if it's a, he had the quietest 106 yard game that I can remember. From he can him. not practice till Christmas if he plays in the state. Yeah, I would not. I think he will practice very, very little this week, and they'll see what they have on Saturday. But they need a active Tony Jones. They need an active Dexter Williams because we don't know what they're going to have. At receiver this weekend, you would assume that EQ will be out. I yes. mean, that was a very nasty fall. Concussion protocol. Like we talked about this, I think when we were discussing Alizé Mack, NC State to Wake Forest, that Greer Martinez is really the only person we can think of who was in concussion protocol and then played the very next week. Based on what happened to St. Brown on Saturday, I don't see how I don't see how he could get on the field. I wouldn't think so either. Uh, I don't know what they'll have from Chase Claypool with his shoulder injury. He did return to the game, but he's now this is going to be his first time playing through an injury as a wide receiver. I wouldn't expect him to have a 
to feel 100%, which I'm not sure can he play close to 100% when he doesn't feel. That's another one of those situations mm-hmm. where it's a young player that you probably need him in better shape to to get the best out of him. But they do have a guy named Kevin Stafferson who makes plays. And he is the lead receiver against Stanford. He'll be targeted. This was nine times in the last game, eight against Miami. He's getting over 10 mm-hmm. against Stanford. And he, I think they're going to give him the ball in a couple end of rounds again just to get his the ball in his hands and change things up. You can get some runs from jet sweeps to save Josh Adams. I know Brandon Wimbush might be banged up too. He's got to have to run 10 times as well. He's He's got to be part of that good. good yeah, I, I do sort of wonder where he is, whether that's a foot. Is it an ankle? Is it a shoulder? I, I don't really know. And um, it doesn't have to be the read option. As you point out, he always gives it. But yeah, the, the yeah. drop back, look at one guy and take off play is incredibly effective for Brandon Wimbush. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's one of the best plays they yeah. have. That's a solid four-yard minimum type of play. Uh, and I think it will be on Saturday night because Stanford's defense outside of Harrison Phillips is is not what it was five years ago. Um, you know, I, I guess sort of wrapping up last weekend, I know that the discussion on message boards and Twitter is, is the team regressing? Is it not? I don't, I don't even really know how to answer it. I sort of asked Brian Kelly and he said, he used the word nonsense about it, which I understand why he would say that. I don't, but I, but I just sort of look at Notre Dame and I'm just not sure anymore. I think, yeah. <laughs> in, I, in a really surprising way. I mean, I think they're regressing due to a, a little bit of attrition that's not formal. Like, right. Josh Adams isn't the same. So you are regressing. Yes. He was the best running back for a single year. They've had in 25 years at one point, and he's not that right now. Um, there's a question that's going to deal with this, actually, in our, in our Q&A session down here. Uh, they are regressing a little to me. I, I don't know how you could say they're not, because mm-hmm. two weeks ago we thought they were going to rip up Miami. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to rip up Stanford. I think they will probably beat. I think I will have them beat Stanford. But their worst football has been the four quarters of Miami, mm-hmm. fourth quarter Wake Forest, which I don't know if you want to count it or not. They weren't great in the third quarter Wake Forest though either. Uh, I don't really know how to take the first half against Navy. Offensively, was bad football. Other than that, a little bit against Georgia, right, and Boston College. That's a long time ago. So I would think it's fair to say they're regressing, but maybe maybe a lot of teams are regressing at this point due to attrition of losing main guys. You just got to be better than Stanford, really. If you're ten and two and you go three and one in November with a couple close calls, mm-hmm. I think that's yeah, that's fine. No one's whatever. No one's complaining yeah. about that. So, all right. Well, we're going to jump ahead to segment two. We got a bunch of questions, as we often do after uh, hard fought to close games that maybe left people wanting a little bit more. So we're going to get into all that next on Irish Illustrated Insider. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. A couple questions from Twitter before we get into our Burning Up the Board segment. The first one's from Dan Keene, and he just wants an update on who redshirted this year, which is probably a good time to revisit that. Mostly guys that should have. You have um, David Adams, who was injured, uh, Drew White, undersized, Kofi Wardlow, and Jonathan McAllister, who were always going to as kind of developmental guys. Mm-hmm. Darnell Ewell, famously, since August, was going to redshirt, I think much to the chagrin of many, but had to happen. 
Uh, the three offensive linemen, which should be almost standard, right? Well, there's four offensive linemen, so Hainsey did not. <laughs> Gibbons, Lug, and Banks did. And then, Pete, as you pointed out, Avery Davis, obviously. And the guy that could have played special teams but did not, uh, Jafar Armstrong. Yeah, and I think from that group, uh, everyone was like, well, what do you, what do you hear? Um, the only guy that I could say I've really heard something on is Lug and, to a lesser extent, Banks. But what I've heard on Lug has been exemplary, and BK went as far to mention him. I think B- Lug is close to fitting into the Kramer, Bars, holy cow, this guy's going to be really good uh, category that um, BK sometimes puts redshirt guys into. And, you know, while Bars has not turned into a 25-year NFL prospect, he's been a good three-and-a-half-year starter. And it wouldn't surprise me if Josh Lug ended up being a four-year starter. And he could start, yeah, he could start next year because there's going to be, yeah, there's two open spots. Obviously, there's going to be, there's really one, though. I guess Tommy Kramer and Robert Hainsey will not be sharing a job next year. So there's probably one open spot. Eichenberg, Lug, be the two guys auditioning for that, I would, I would think. Uh, Jafar Armstrong, Kelly was high on in August, but there's always someone he's very high on in August that he knows he's going to redshirt. So mm-hmm. we'll find out where that goes. Oh, we missed one. Ousu Koromo redshirt. Oh, yeah. 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 Who is another guy that BK is also right. very high on. That based on what happens with Drew Tranquil, which by was just based basing my judgment on body language before the game. Is that your last home game? Is it not your last home game? It would have been. That's your last All home game. All-timer body language for that one. Yeah. The poor guy was, yeah. But, you know, he's just going to put his name in and find out. If they say come back, maybe he'll come back. They need him. Let's not get off on a tangent about the linebackers next year, though, right now. <laughs> no, they need him badly. All right, uh, next question from Twitter. Ryan, he wants to know, what is your most desired bowl location slash opponent and your least desired bowl location slash opponent? So assuming... Nothing hits the fan, and they don't find their way into number four. I would say uh, location. I want to go to, back to Miami for a few days. Um, I think, though, that would mean Clemson. A loss, Clemson losing to Miami. You would put Clemson there. I just certainly don't really think a re- well. A rematch with Miami would be weird. Yeah, it'd be, well, it'd be welcomed. I I, that's not desirable necessarily. But I'd rather play Miami if you're a Notre Dame fan than Clemson. So I think the Cotton Bowl against Penn State would be really fun for football. It'd be the way to look at it. The Ohio State Bowl game's kind of played out. That would be three times in 12 years. And I think Dorney and Penn State would, in the Cotton Bowl would be, that's pretty good. A traditionalist could like that. Yeah, I, that would be my choice. I think at this point, playoff, if the playoffs are out. They should play the Cotton Bowl in Miami, though. It would be cool. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Everything but the location of the Cotton Bowl against Penn State would be awesome. Uh, I agree. I think while the Orange Bowl location would be ideal, Clemson is a little too... Georgia Miami in its uh, defensive <laughs> talent that I, I just don't need to see that. That's the team you want to play in a playoff game, not in a bowl game where you think to yourself, let's yeah. cap this season on a winning note. Yeah. Playoff, anybody, bring them If we're having a discussion yeah. of like, would you rather play Clemson or Penn State in a New Year's Six game? Penn State. Yeah. Would you rather play Alabama or Clemson in a playoff game? Clemson. <laughs> All right, to the burning up the boards, Jerboski wants to know... Why does it feel like this team has regressed since the NC State game? What has happened to this team that buried people on both sides of the ball? I do feel, I am on the regression side, uh, just because they were killing everybody, now they're not. <laughs> it's just the way they, they, they got murdered in a game, and they played Navy close. I think there's a natural regression to the mean that's going to happen in November when you're playing. Look, we pointed this out in August. Trip to Miami, Navy in the middle of Miami and Stanford. is just, it's 
not advantageous scheduling. It was going to be a problem. I think we ignored the Navy problem too much. Um, defensively, I don't think they were a defense that can hold every team over the course of a season under 20 points. Mm-hmm. I think they're a quality defense. Offensively, it, I, I trace it to Josh Adams, and I think maybe they are going away from the approach of pounding people with Josh Adams not at 100%. I don't think they need to. I, I Maybe I'm wrong. I just think you would just go to the other running backs because I can't I can't see Notre Dame beating good teams with Brandon Wimbush throwing the ball 28 times, so I would go back to it. Um, maybe I'll be proven wrong this week in Stanford, mm-hmm. but Stanford's rush D is nowhere near as good as their pass D, so I think Notre Dame should pound them. And if Notre Dame pounds Stanford, this question will not be asked again. Yeah, there's no no question about that. I I think here's another way you can look at it. There have been 24 months of the Brian Kelly era. They're just like September, okay. October, November times eight, 24 months. October was the best of those 24 months. Yes. So September was awfully good too. But I'm just like, so if something happened, if it was the best of 24, it's like so that was the 23rd month. Number one out of 23. Would then you expect the following month to be the second best out of 24? Probably not. And I think that's kind of what's happening. Um, and that's okay. Like, college football isn't isn't as easy as Notre Dame made it look in October. No, that is for sure. Would you agree that 2-2 two and two and 3-1 and one is the Biggest difference two and two, three and one you can imagine in a football season for Brian Kelly though right now. The the feeling of the fans from being number three in the country to finishing nine and three. It would be a major sad trombone finish to the yeah. season. Um there's there's uh, in October there was an, if you had said, Oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna finish one and three or two and two and two, two and two. I'd be like, You are insane. Especially if then you added, they're going to get blown out. Right, that's the surprise for Almost me. Almost lose to Navy, lose game, but... and then lose to Stanford. I'm like, you are an insane person. So, yeah, it would be uh, it would be a major bummer. Brian Kelly needs a win against David Shaw, too. Yes, he doesn't have enough of them. No. All right, Dip98. We all thought Mike Elko coaching the safeties would result in improvement, or at least schemes to cover up their deficiencies. Why can't we recruit or coach up the safety position? Related question, do Derek Allen and Alohi Gilman or Isaiah Robertson start next year? What about Julian Love? He has coached up Nick Coleman beyond all reasonable expectations this year. It's weird to me that Nick Coleman didn't play over Jalen Elliott against Navy. Obviously, that was they thought Elliott, I think Coleman's a better tackler. I thought it was mm-hmm. weird that Nick Elliott played. I think he has totally covered up Jalen Elliott, and it could be really bad. Yes. If it wasn't him coaching Jalen Elliott back there, because I guess he didn't coach them up to the national championship level that they had going into the Miami game, but at some point we thought they'd break two and they did at safety. So I think he's done a job. You know, the Julian Love question is for next year. Uh, Brian Kelly's already mentioned that. They need Nick Watkins back. They need to develop Devontae. Devontae. I just pulled a Brian Kelly. They need to develop Dante Vaughn. And Troy Pride and Sean Crawford could be your starters. That's the only way if those four deep are healthy and you're confident can Love move to safety because Love's their best corner. Yeah, I would say to the follow-up portion of that question, Derek Allen starting, I would put at a long shot. However, Derek Allen beating out Isaiah Robertson and Jordan Genmar Keith I is a medium shot. That that I could see happening. Um, you know, could he be a rotation player, even get ahead of Devin Sudsill? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like the coaching staff has a whole lot of trust in Devin Studstill right now. As it pertains to 
us saying Mike Elko is a really good coach and why can't he make something great out of his safeties, you have to give him something to work with. I think it says a lot more about the players and the guy coaching him. Uh, I think Mike Elko has done a very, very good job with the hand he's been dealt. Because Notre Dame's, look, we said this before the year and then nobody wanted to hear it in September or October. Their defensive talent is just okay. It's not bad, but it's not great. And they're playing good defense with it. So full, I, I, what's happened with Notre Dame's defense, the last few games included, makes me think more of Mike Elko, not less. I actually think because of Mike Elko, Allen could start next year before Robertson and Gilman. From what we saw of Gilman, it's a too small of a sample size for me to say this, but we'll mm-hmm. go ahead and do it anyway. He did not look like he was going to start even if he was playing this year. Right. Uh, obviously, they didn't give him as many reps because they, in the back of their mind, knew he wasn't going to be able to play this year. That waiver did not seem like it was going to come through. Here's what Nick I Nick Coleman will start yeah. next year. Nick Coleman will start next year. I think he will too. And I, I think that's fine. Yes, it is. Um, I think Jalen Elliott would have to really improve. The thing is, he will have a major leg up on Allen when mm-hmm. when when the two convened to kind of combat each other. And I do think Allen will pass the stud stills. I don't, you know, Robertson I liked in in that limited what we saw, but it doesn't sound like he made much of an improvement at all. Yeah, because what I've heard just talking to people around the program is Robertson has had a hard time picking up the system, whereas Derek Allen is the exact opposite. When he came up on his visit, he watched tape with Elko and was like, oh, I get this. Like, this is what I run now, just the names of stuff is, is different. So I, I expect Derek Allen to be a very quick learner. Yeah. Uh, and he's somebody that... That's the kind of guy Mike Elko wants to build the back of the defense right. around. So I that you're him with like, Coleman next year. Not yeah. not day one necessarily, yeah. but you know, as time goes on, if this mm-hmm. continues, then yeah, I, I could definitely see that too. I mean, it's just like the I think the benefit of the doubt will go to the younger guy who's more talented, and like Derek Allen is built like you want a safety to to be built, um, and he's still got a lot of room to sort of clean it up. Like he's just a big, thick dude. He'll be a big cut dude by the time his sophomore year rolls around here. So I, I, the world is in front of that guy. But, um, yeah, it's. I, I just think that the coaching staff has done a good job taking a position where they don't have a lot of material and making it look like they do. It would be really intriguing if those four corners come back healthy and they're trusted and they can move love. Mm, yeah, I agree. This is where the hole in that corner recruiting for one year comes to play, though. There's not another guy behind them. No, they're it's the numbers game. No. You like the four plus love, but there's not nothing else. No, it's a it's a concern. SF Castillo in a game in which Josh Adams appears to be severely limited. Why do you think there were so few design runs for Wimbush? Do you think Wimbush is also hurt, and that would expose him to more hits? Um, I I thought that there were an adequate number of design runs for Brandon Wimbush, and I wouldn't run him more than that. It needs to be a change up. Like you can't just throw that out there as your base offense because then people start to key on it and it becomes a lot less effective and the guy is getting his uh, you know his, his hand hit again or his knee twisted or his ankle stepped on um, that can't be the go-to it's like they're very effective throwing the ball play action the response can't be why don't you throw more play action well because then everyone knows it's coming and then it's not as effective so the the Wimbush design runs need to be a change up I, I like how much I like the judiciousness they use it with right now. I like Brandon Wimbush running out of the passing. That's, scramble mode? Yeah, scramble mode. I think he does a great that's job. That's good, too. Um, I think that's where he can get six runs against Stanford that impact the game. And that'd be enough. 
No, I, I agree. Because it's even better than the design draw is the draw where it's a one read or maybe two reads and every and there's there's receivers downfield yeah, and like, he makes it happen. Did you bust the coverage or no? If right. you didn't, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll run. And that's that, that's what I think they. I think they'll use plenty of it. Um, I do think he's a little banged up to answer his question, Wimbush. Yeah, in in a way that almost everyone is at, right. this, at this point of the year. But I mean, so one of the things I track is yards per carry based on personnel, whether it's like three receivers, one tight end, one back, two backs, two tight ends, four wide. You know, are they running out of, if there's a tight end in the backfield, is it a read option concept? Is it a read option concept where the quarterback keeps it? Blah, blah, blah. The highest yards per carry is, is designed runs by a lot. It's 12.1 yards per carry. So, But not out of the read option concept? No. Okay. If the quarterback keeps it, it's actually the worst. Yeah, I was going to say, because I can't picture these runs happening. Yeah, it's at 5.5 <laughs> yards per carry. It's the drop back and go, is what you're it, saying. No, I'm saying... Or design draw or QB power? Yeah, quarterback okay. draw. In scramble mode, it's 8.3 yards per carry, which is also very high. Um, so it's it's very effective when they do it. They don't do it a lot, because if you did it a lot, it wouldn't be very effective. That's, I think, how that all fits together. All right. Um, I don't even know how to say this. We should have practiced that one beforehand. Yeah. C-M-U- C-Muffins fan? Yeah, okay. A big fan of the muffins. Very likely EQ is cleared for this... Or, oh, very unlikely EQ is cleared for this week. From pro- concussion protocol, Claypool got banged up. Might not be 100%. How do you see Notre Dame lining up at the wide receiver position? I assume Claypool gives it a go. They'll have to... Um... They'll have to evaluate how effective he is out there. So, Stefferson, Claypool, two tight ends. Uh, two tight ends plays along into my game plan for Stanford, of course. You have to use Nick Wisher as to, to relieve him. I think I, I'm down with that, too. Um, Boykin looks like the next guy in, because he was Saturday. He is just, over the last couple games, every time I, he had, what, three targets against Miami, three against Wake, two against NC State, and I bring that up because everybody else... Chris Fink, Michael Young, all those guys, they're getting one or none. And Cam Smith, I don't think you're going to rely on him in this game. Obviously, he hasn't played since the North Carolina game, so he's not going to jump in and be the answer against Stanford. They are thin with a two-tight end set with Nick Wisher as a third tight end to rotate in. Makes it less so. Yeah, I think it's just going to be a lot of two-tight end works. Uh, You know, If they run 70 plays, Jaron Swyth is going to be on the field for 60 of them. Uh, yeah. Alizé Mack will probably be on the field for 45 of them. Maybe Nick Wisher will get in there for a dozen or something like that, too. So I'm more interested to see how much Williams and Jones can help Adams. Yeah, I think that's more intriguing to me as well. You know, how they deal with Josh Adams being banged up than how they deal with EQ being banged up. So directly, if Claypool cannot go, it's Stefferson and Boykin are the receivers. Yep. Because other than that, you're asking for Fink to come in for Boykin, and that's a smaller group. That's not going to happen. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh, they're, they're going to need Stefferson and Clay and Boykin to go a lot, you know. And for Stefferson, that's fine. His snaps have been very, very high the last three or four weeks. Boykin, will, that will be new territory for Boykin. Be I would wonder how they would use Boykin because he doesn't run away from guys, but maybe they can finally they can use him, his body. At, at, Jump ball, yeah. yeah, box people out type of thing. Statman72, given what we have seen the past three games, do you think ND is the eighth best team in the country right now? Well, I mean, it... it I think he's saying if you had an 18 playoff right now, would, would they, they make it? Would they be do anything in it? <laughs> or would they be, <laughs> you know, they'd make it yeah. if they yeah. wow. Yes. They beat Stanford. Yeah, oh, in the aggregate, they're yeah. the eighth best team. They'd I, I don't it. think that's the question. Though. Are I, they playing I, like yeah. the eighth best team in the country? Yeah. No, they're not playing like the eighth best team in the country. But 
in October, they were playing like the number one team in the country. They were playing better than the third best team in the country, which is where they peaked. So I, I don't know. They're not. No, they're not playing like a, a top eight team right now. Uh, if they win on Saturday night, they'll be ten and two, and I'll say, yeah, body work, definitely a top eight team. Body work. As of now, they are clearly a top eight team. If you were to look at the top eight teams playing football right now, and you had to bet on them to win a game next week against each other, you'd have Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, um, Wisconsin, and Miami, Ohio State, Ohio State, and then yeah, I mean, I would I would be confident Notre Dame is next in there. There's Penn State, there's Notre Dame, and TCU, sort TCU, of. whatever. Yeah, so Notre Dame is yeah. Let's say they are, even though they don't seem like they're playing like it. I, I stick them right in there. Yeah. Good job, guys. <laughs> WH33 is... What? These names are different today. Yeah. Huh? It's just... You can tell they had a rough game over the weekend. What do Kelly's consistently bad Novembers tell us about his ceiling as a coach and his future here at Notre Dame? Well, he has to lose. Very dark question. <laughs> He's 2-1 this November. He has... If he doesn't beat Stanford, there's, there's, there's so many things that are going to go wrong for this offseason. It just... He's got to beat David Shaw. He can't go two and two in November when he started it <laughs> in the national championship hunt. You can't, yeah. right? It's just not, especially with a win over Wake in which you give away your lead. That actually didn't end up mattering at all to the committee. So especially with barely beating Navy. Um, let's see if he wins this game yet, right? It's not a bad November yet if he's yeah. three and one. Now the blowout is the blowout was hard to take because no one. I mean, none of us saw it coming, obviously. But let's see if he wins this game. I think there's a lot on this game. I'm doing something in Monday Musings. I think, I haven't finished the research yet, but I believe Kelly would be the first coach to lose four straight at an opponent at Notre Dame. Yeah. Because, first of all, you have to be good enough coach to be there eight years to drop those four straight. I know Era lost three straight to Purdue and USC. And there was a tie against USC involved in his fourth. But Stanford's been good all these times. Um... They've been ranked every time. Once they were ranked about 4th. They've been ranked 4th, 8th, 13th, and whatever they are going to be now, 20th. Notre Dame was pretty good every time. Uh, they were really good in 15. They're really good now. They were fine in 13, and we thought they were pretty good in 11, and they got housed. Uh, that was a different Stanford team, though. You, mm-hmm. I, you know, you can't really lose four straight at Stanford if you're Brian Kelly and have people consider it successful because that, that's too much, right? Ending yeah. the ending the year all the time like that. Wait, well, I mean, it's like one of the problems with Novembers is you are ending it at Stanford or, or USC. USC which... But he's two and two with USC. You got to be able to win some of these, right? Yeah, it's the Stanford losses have been perplexing. Last um, year's was the worst. Yeah, in twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that one mattered the most. That last year they didn't have Christian McCaffrey, mm. and everybody was thinking, "All right, well, fine." And yeah, then they couldn't pull that one. Bryce Love turned out to be pretty good. He did. The backup was good, and Solomon Thomas as well. Um, so yeah, it's. I think it just tells you that the next man in thing has its limits. It tells you they get banged up in November. I think it tells you that if you don't play an FCS team in November, then uh, maybe right. that those those things start to add yeah, up. Yeah, their schedules are tough in November. They're most often injured going into November. They're not badly injured this year, but some one key guy is not feeling great. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah, you know, they're not playing well. They're not sort of. I, I that's not what I meant to say. I meant more like they're not healthy. They're not injured, but they're not, not healthy. healthy. It's um, but let's see if they can win this situation. game before we call it a bad November. <laughs> when they go three and one and finish number six in the country, yeah. so this game matters to that question. Right. Sterling James, you all mostly, I think all picked ND to score many more points than twenty four. I think Pete picked forty plus. Take that. James. Yeah. 
What gave you that impression, and why was the staff so far off? That's two games in a row. It'll be interesting to see how cautious you'll be with Stanford. Uh, I will be very cautious with Stanford. I would, I'm not sure who I'm going to pick to win that game, which is, I think, the first time I felt that way all season. Um, I completely misread Wimbush's start. That I, I didn't think he was going to have that kind of collapse um, in the first half, and to his credit, he bounced back in the second. Um, so that I was, I was banking on the Notre Dame offense coming out and going touchdown, touchdown to start the game, which seems reasonable against Navy. At that point, Navy can't stick with its system unless it just wants to lose by 21 points. It doesn't, they would have to take some chances. I could see Notre Dame capitalizing and then win going away. So that Miami was just a complete buzzsaw. Yeah. Uh, Brian Kelly and we were just wrong. Just, was just, <laughs> just, didn't, just didn't see that one coming. Um, and then Navy, I just thought, would play out differently. But it does make me question what's going to happen on Saturday night. It's It was, I think once, I would have lowered it a little bit. I had them in the 40s too. But I would have lowered it a little bit with the weather situation. And then just thinking, man, this Navy team just does things that we don't think about. However, last year, one of the worst Notre Dame teams you're ever going to see played Navy in a 28-27 game. There's 55 points in that game. Prior to that, Notre Dame scored 41, 49, 38, 50, and 56. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for us to think they would score against Navy. Because they always do. Maybe we shouldn't have thought they would cover. Right? That's what be. Navy does against Notre Dame. They find a way to cover, or they, they stress them, or they beat them. Um, they stressed them this time. They beat them last year. Notre Dame did a pretty good job against them in the 2015 year, but that game, as you mentioned, was close to the fourth quarter. They almost upset them two years prior. We don't give Navy enough credit, I guess, annually. We do it in the preseason all the time, then the game comes. Yeah, they run them over. <laughs> but uh, Notre Dame normally scores on Navy. I'm surprised they didn't. I don't know what I'm going to do with the Stanford game because I have thought Notre Dame would beat Stanford since about September 22nd. So I don't know how to handle that. Look, Josh Adams is banged up. Bryce, Bryce Love is more banged up. Yeah, there's, there's no question. So there's no excuses that. just because Josh Adams is banged up. I think I would just say on this point with Navy next year when you're picking it, um, I'm talking to myself probably here. Uh, these are the last 11 results against Navy. 07 loss, 08. It was a three-point game of the half. 09 loss, 10 loss, 11 blowout win, 12 blowout win, 13 Navy led in the fourth quarter, 14 Navy led in the fourth quarter, 15 it was a three-point game at the half, 16 loss, 17 tied in the fourth quarter. So I, I'm out of the business of picking Notre Dame to, to win by 20 points against Navy. Just forget it. Because it happened 2 out of 11 times, That's, basically. People could have made money. Yeah. Irish ND 23, on a more positive note, you've all really seemed to like covering this senior class. How would you rank them among other classes you've covered, and who have been your favorite interviews from this class? You know, in terms of talent? Is that sort of what the question I is? I think, no, your favorite interviews is just how you like okay. to interview them. I mean, it, I thought it was a it was a good class for interviews. Uh, I mean, Mike McGlinchey was particularly good. Um you know, the rest of the class, Niles Morgan's a tough interview. Um, Drew Tranquil's a really good interview. Drew Tranquil is very good. Or he's very thoughtful, at least. It's not necessarily going to be a yeah. unique stuff. But McGlinchey yeah. gives you the, the the blunt stuff when you need it. Right. Like we got our asses kicked and stuff like that. That's the type. That's the Zeke Mata kind of brought to it back you in 2012. you got to have a bell cow interview. Yeah. Uh, and he definitely qualifies as, as that. Um, you know, the rest of the class... We're trying to think of seniors, both of us. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, I mean, Jay Hayes is great. Yeah. Um, Andrew Trombetti is a really good interview, I think. Um, I think he's a pretty thoughtful dude. 
He's very honest. Yeah. I, I like Even that. when he was struggling, he was honest yeah. to, a, to a, like, he once told me a couple years ago, I can't get a bad play out of my head, which was revealing for a player, and obviously he's been able to do that more so this year. And and he was pretty revealing about his feelings of the former defensive coordinator, too. Yeah. That's, uh, I also appreciate that. Like, because like, Smythe and McGlinchey really are in a different group. Um, yeah, they're graduated seniors. You know, Alex Bars is kind of a fun interview. Uh, Nelson is... Good at football. Yeah, he's, he's an excellent football player. Uh, and then, He's know, actually pretty funny with how yeah. blunt he could be, too. There's... But beyond that, that's like the senior... There just aren't a lot of fourth-year seniors. It's a, it's kind of I think maybe, that way. maybe the team, we like covering this team because they were fun to watch in that they housed everybody for two months. That was yeah. fun when you're covering something mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, they played good football. It was rough watching last year's team play football. You kind of... <laughs> we always make fun of people in our profession that take it personally. I think everybody took it personally last year. <laughs> How dare you! It was just... <laughs> that was different than this year. I don't know, the 2012 team, I think, was... Super fun to cover with their personalities of the mm-hmm. captains. And as we've said a couple times, everybody likes to say this team is so much more talented than 2012. And then you forget that three of the best players in the history of their position played on the 2012 yeah. team. So they were pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there have been some good, like, I just was jotting down good interviews. Teo, Zach Martin, Harrison Smith, mm-hmm. uh, 2012 Lewis Nix, Anthony Fasano, Golden mm-hmm. Tate was really good. All the time, too, even losing. TJ Jones, I thought, was a pretty conscientious interview. Yeah. Um, Ethan Johnson was a good interview. Sierra Wood was outstanding for yes, different reasons. for many reasons. Uh, <laughs> junior year, Jeff Samarja. Yeah. Ryan Harris was excellent. Brady uh, Quinn, right? Brady Quinn was... Brady Quinn and Manti Teo fit into the McGlinchey group as, like, always answered the bell. Neither of them were as interesting as Mike McGlinchey when they that right. bell had been answered, but they were very good that way. Um, a lot know, of the it, offensive linemen. Watt's a good one. Chris Watt was a really good one. Uh, I like Ronnie Stanley too. He was just trying to tell you what mm-hmm. he thought. You know, it was it was a different type of yeah. interview, but yeah, I mean, it's like there's you've got some weird guys. Like Jaron Jones was kind of a weird interview, um, but was entertaining. Yeah, I mean, you just never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. <laughs> he really didn't. He was really honest. Yeah, Jaron Jones. Yeah, <laughs> there was that. So I mean, if we're we are Wimbush is good. Wimbush is yeah. very good too. Um, we're we are blessed covering Notre Dame football by the quality of interviews that we have compared to what some of our colleagues. Yes, other programs have. it's really not even close. There are very few where you don't have. Usually, it's just someone that's in the wake of a loss that isn't quite as cool as they are when they win. Um, yeah. There's a couple guys that don't want to do it. Robert Bland didn't want to do it, but mm-hmm. he when he did want to do it, he was great. His freshman year, then he stopped wanting to do it and became. Outwardly hostile. <laughs> an issue. But uh, he was he was really good at first. He was told not to be good, so he took it to the extreme. But that's that's probably not all on him, right? No. no. Yeah, Sierra Wood is in the Hall of Fame for I can't believe Troy Nicholas is in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I yeah, can't yeah. believe what he just uh, said. Yeah, <laughs> he would be really high on the list. Trevor Laws was very good for back uh, back in a different era. Troy Nicholas was a good one because he wasn't really sure where he was during the interviews too. He was a he was a fun <laughs> dude, man. <laughs> yeah, where are we? Yeah, we definitely we definitely have some good ones around here. But Sierra uh, Wood with the national media before the Alabama game talking and Trey Nicholas talking to us making fun of Sierra Wood doing the interview was one of my favorite interview <laughs> moments. Just look at what is he saying? It was those guys, yeah, there are some they're really good. Seek Mata went from the worst interview ever in terms of nervous to being great his senior yep. year. Yeah, and he, that is a he grew testament up, to he grew up a lot. <laughs> he gave me the best cuss word in the history of a post game after the USC too, because he 
screamed it out in his pads like this. Wow, that's got to go in. But. <laughs> yeah, he was he was excellent. Well, I don't know where we can go from uh, a, a walk down memory lane of interviews as the season is about to wrap up at Stanford. Probably something a little bit more topical. And we will address that on Wednesday uh, with Thanksgiving coming up this week. We'll do our pregame or preview podcast a day early. So we'll be back Wednesday to preview Stanford on the next Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you.